calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Take 15. I am Lauren Foster, Content Director with CFA Institute. And today we're in Chicago and we just happen to be across the road from a rather noisy construction site. So if there's background noise, we apologize. My guest today is Kunal Kapoor. Kunal is CEO of Morningstar, which is arguably the most influential firm in the fund industry. He's also a CFA charter holder, and I'm really delighted to have him here today. Welcome, Kunal. Thanks so much for joining us. So, Kunal, you're Morningstar's storyteller-in-chief. So let's begin with a story. At your recent annual conference, you said, I think the story of Morningstar is the story of the modern financial advisor. The advisor practice looks far different today so does the modern star I first walked into. And that was over two decades ago. What has changed and what has stayed the same? Well, I think the most important thing that has not changed is the culture and our mission. Obviously, they evolve a little bit to continue to stay relevant, but largely the goal of empowering investor success, of demystifying investing, making it accessible, um, driving success for um, you know, the common person is a very critical part of uh, what we do. And in terms of the financial advisor, we've always viewed the advisor as our key partner in helping serve that individual investor. And so as their, um, you know, business has evolved, as their practices has changed, so too has Morningstar to help them uh, be successful. Last year, you took a big step. You launched a family of mutual funds. Now, you obviously have good reasons for doing that. Why did you launch a family of funds? Yeah, so we've had an investment management uh, arm that has been working with financial advisors since 2001. And what we did is we essentially stopped using uh, certain third-party funds that we use to construct portfolios and instead built our own funds, uh, often using sub-advisors whose um, funds we might have used otherwise, primarily because we wanted to reduce the costs associated um, with the, the distribution of those third-party funds. We never really took advantage of those costs. And so we saw a path to cutting our costs um, that we were, um, we, we saw a path to cutting our costs by about 20%. Uh, and so that's why, you know, we took that step. So this push towards becoming a provider of asset management products has sparked some concerns about conflicts of interests. What is Morningstar doing to ease asset managers' real or imagined concerns? I think you have to walk the walk, simply put. Uh, I think an easy way for me to answer the question would be to say we have the appropriate Chinese walls, etc. And, you know, we do. We absolutely do all those things. But most importantly, our culture reflects the way we want to live. And our analysts have independence and I, as an analyst uh, early in my career, too, really respect the importance of that and what it means at Morningstar. And so 
we act independently, we act transparently, and those are core values that we expect of everyone who comes to work every day. So we do all the right things from the perspective of how you would want us to formalize it, but I think also just from the perspective of having a culture that lives and breeds uh, the values that we espouse, that's what really matters, and then we do that every day. The star rating system gets a lot of pushback. Is there any discussion about revising this system or is this one of these discussions that only seems to take place outside the walls of Morningstar? Well, we're always looking to improve what we have. And in fact, the star rating has gone through changes um, you know, during its history. Most significantly, um, if you look at the performance of the star rating, you know, what we've always mentioned is it's a very effective way to begin a process of narrowing down the strategies that you may want to uh, invest in. And if you look at it, the star rating is particularly effective at doing away with the really poor strategies. So one and two star funds tend to do quite poorly. And since we changed the methodology uh, some time back, uh, you're starting to see that even five stars do tend to outperform. But I'm also personally very excited by what we call our qualitative rating, where our analysts are assigning ratings uh, to individual strategies. So that's a human looking at these things and really using our long-term lens to do that. And the performance of those ratings has simply been outstanding and uh, something we're very proud of. So we like the star rating as a way to winnow things down and the analyst rating as a way to dig deeper into the individual strategies. Let's talk a little bit about the future of the active fund industry. Everyone expects major consolidation, which could mean fewer funds to research. What's your view on what the future looks like? I think there will certainly be fewer solutions available for investors than there are today, but they will be cheaper, they will be more goal-oriented, and they're likely to increase the investor's uh, chance of achieving uh, the success they set out to when they began investing. So I think the landscape is changing for sure, but it's not changing just for bad reasons. It's changing because in many ways, uh, we've taken a lot of costs out of the system, we've introduced technology into the system, we've empowered investors to be more aware of the choices that they're making. So I think net-net, it's a good thing. So in May, you sat down with Joe and Don to look back at the last 35 years and talk about the next 35 years. And one of the things you talked about was ESG and sustainability and this theme of helping people make informed decisions. You've made this central to what Warren Star is doing. Why is this so important to you? There's a number of reasons, um, including the reality that in the next few years, we are going to deliver more personalized financial advice and more personalized uh, asset management. And so as investors have the ability to be uh, more choosy and think about what really matters to them, ESG is a natural filter through which many investors will choose to think about their portfolios. There's also just a notion of broadening the tent, bringing more women into investing, bringing more younger people into investing. Uh, it's clear from a lot of the research done, the surveys, uh, that women and younger investors in particular respond to ESG. And if you think about the importance of empowering more women and younger investors, um, it's very critical not only to the success of investors, but ultimately to the resiliency of the industry. And so we view ESG as being very much central to our mission of empowering investor success um, because it not only expands the number of people 
who become investors, but it also ensures that it allows them to do so in a more personal, impactful way. So for decades, Morningstar believed the transparency of fee structures and business practices was paramount to investor success. Today, you believe investor data is the next big frontier. Tell us why. Well, simply put, there's so much investor data out there, and we all love the fact that there's a simpler way to look at all our accounts. Uh, you may have eight different places where you hold your money, but you can generally look at it in one, one place today. And it's true in all parts of our life today, we're awash in data. And the question is, do we still have control of our data or not? And especially with financial data, the Morningstar view is that the investor should have control. And we are wary of business models where that data is being sold at a profit without the investor being aware and consenting, essentially, to that being the case. So we're going to pivot slightly and talk a little bit about leadership. You took over as CEO in January 2017, so this is your, your third year. And a short while after you took over, you told Barron's, Joe is as involved as I want him to be, and he gives me as much rope as I want. Joe has also said that the two of you have many similarities as leaders. In fact, at one of your town halls, you were both asked how you and Joe were different, and you both struggled to answer. Is that still the case? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we're very similar in style and substance. At the end of the day, Joe was my key mentor, and so he remains my key mentor. And so certainly I find that we are simpatico in a lot of things in the way that we think about creating value, uh, having perseverance, um, doing the right thing for investors, bring, building a firm that we can be proud of. And so, yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm really pleased in many ways that um, you know, we, we have those similarities because I think it leads to Morningstar being a more impactful firm. So in your podcast chat with Don and Joe, Don quipped about the one question interview, and I think he said something like, are you a fanatic? So you've had a long career at Morningstar, you've hired people, you've built teams. If you had a one question job interview, what would it be? A one question job interview that I would ask, and, and the most important question in my mind, is what's the most unusual thing you've done in the past five years, and why was it unusual? So that's an interesting one. <laughs> I bet you to get some hopefully unusual answers. Yes. <laughs> so final question, you're a well-known contrarian around the Morningstar Hall. So in that spirit, what is something that you believe that most people you know disagree with? That's a tough question to answer because I think the one thing that uh, increasingly people um, that I trust and respect maybe agree with me on is the fact that, you know, we're living in a time where uh, asset prices have appreciated uh, just about everywhere uh, over the past decade in a very meaningful way. And while there's still some disagreement, um, I, I think a lot of people would agree that the returns of the past decade are unlikely to be replicated in the next decade. And so if you're an investor, I think you have to be very thoughtful about that and very realistic about that or you run the risk of essentially being disappointed. We'll have to leave it there, Kunal. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to everyone who is watching. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts and it helps others find the show.
Also, a quick reminder, this podcast isn't intended to provide expert advice on the topics we covered. If you need tax, accounting, or legal advice, please consult a professional. I am Lauren Foster. Thanks so much for listening.